this evening. We're going to celebrate Christmas together. I hope you'll come back for that. Uh, plenty of space still for 745 if you're going to be around. We have been talking chain reaction. We've been looking at Christmas as something that God started that he wants to see flow through history and show up in your life today right now. And so we, we've been looking at how that takes place. I tend to, um, at Christmas time, talk about the Advent ideas. Uh, joy, peace, love, hope. Because the culture's bringing it up. It's out there already. They're broadcasting it all over the place. And it seems like it's pretty easy to jump on the back of that and because it's already on your conscience, and maybe we can shape it and give some meaning to it. And so that's what we've attempted to do. We've attempted to talk about these things to, to again, put them on your radar, although it can be tricky. There are different groups of people who respond differently to joy, peace, love, and hope. Some of you, uh, this from Thanksgiving to New Year's, you have stuff mapped out with friends, family. It includes food, maybe football for you. The whole thing is exciting. You know where you're going to be, when you're going to be, who you're going to be with, and you are looking forward to all of it. Others of you, you're looking forward to it too, but there's just, you're just not sure how it's going to turn out because you have great friends and families, but some of them can be stinkers sometimes. And so you're going into it not really sure if it's going to work out well or if it's going to go bad. But you're, you're still moving towards it. You're looking forward to it. And still others of you, the best you're hoping for is that it's, um, Christmas is just another day. That, that's, the, that's the best scenario. For you, the downside is it simply brings to light memories of stuff that you've lost of things that you wish you had or hadn't accomplished yet, things that aren't happening in your family that you wish you had. And, and maybe even for some of you, it's past that, and it's at a place of dread where you know things are not going to go well. It's not going to be great. You're not looking forward to it at all. And, and I'm, I'm not just uh, making this stuff up. I'm not just assuming that people feel this way. I have conversations with every one of these groups at our church. And, and everybody assumes that everybody feels the same way about joy, peace, love, and hope. And the people who are dreading think everybody's having a great time, and the people who are having a great time thinks everybody, but it's just not the case. For some people, it's painful to even have this conversation, and I know this, and so you might be thinking, Blair, why do you bring it up then? Why can't you just let it lay and go somewhere else? Because I'm convinced that God has a desire for all of us to experience those things to the full. Not in a seasonal way. See, the season allows us to kind of think about it and to bring it back to our memory. But this is something that God wants us to live with on a regular basis. But the thing is, it slips slips from our consciousness, it slips from our habits, it, it just slips out of grasp. And although joy and peace and love and hope are valuable, they can be gone just as easily. And it's great that we come to a Christmas season where people start talking about it and we can recall, we can remember, we can rekindle those things into our lives. This morning, I want to talk about the last one, hope. I have over the years tended to save hope to the last weekend 
I, I was thinking about that, trying to wonder why I did that. And I think it's because I expected maybe some large groups to be here. And the thought was, in my mind, there's probably some people who lack hope. And if we can find a way to talk to them, it could be really valuable. It could be really important for their lives. And I wanted, I wanted to um, spend time on that in that moment because I would have told you, if you would have asked me, I, I would have said, I understand um, not having hope. There are a couple seasons in my life where I walked with people who had lost hope. I want to tell you it was scary. It was difficult. It was frustrating because it didn't seem to matter what I said or what I did I couldn't find a way to rekindle it for them. They were just out there lost, struggling on their own. And if I could have, I would have given them a hope transplant. But it's not transferable, it doesn't work that way. And, and fortunately, um, we made it to the other side of those incidences. Both, you know, both people were intact, everything was okay, it was fine. But I would say because I went through that, I spent a lot of time reading about it. I spent a lot of time thinking about it. I've spent some time teaching on this. And I would say, man, I think I understand what somebody's going through when they're hopeless. I think I could see the signs of it in people because all of that. And now, right now, I would tell you, I'm probably pretty good at seeing the signs in others. But I'm not so good at seeing the signs in me. Uh, for instance, I could take you to the scriptures and I can show you where there are signs of hopelessness in the Christmas story. And, and they show up in kind of at odd times and odd places. You can understand if God had made a promise and hadn't fulfilled that promise yet and somebody just felt like, well, God, you're left, leaving me hanging here. When's this going to happen? But God had already acted. He was doing something and there were still signs of hopelessness. I want to show it to you. Um, this happens with Elizabeth. She's in her 80s. Zechariah has been told by an angel, hey, I'm answering your prayer for a son. By the way, it doesn't say anything about Elizabeth's prayer. I seem to suspect, based on how we see her respond, that she gave up praying a long time ago. But an angel has said, listen, you're going to have a kid. And, and then look at what the scriptures say. This is Luke 1, 24. After this, his wife, Elizabeth, became pregnant. God said, listen, you're going to have a son. She gets pregnant. And you would think in that moment, things are going to turn around. But I want you to see what the rest of the verse says. And for five months, remained in seclusion. She got pregnant. And for the next five months, avoided friends, family, hid. You'd think she'd be celebrating, right? This is something that she'd longed for for a long period of time, but she's not celebrating. You'd think she was um, going to let people feel her baby bump, right? Come check this out. I mean, why? Why is she isolating herself? By the way, Isolation, loneliness, and hopelessness are friends. They travel together. And you see her choosing to be isolated. Why would she do that sort of thing? Well, maybe, maybe it's practical stuff like 
Maybe she got pregnant a bunch and she had a miscarriage each time and she was just waiting for the hammer to fall. Or maybe she thought, I'm so old, this is not going to work out. And I'm going to show people I'm pregnant, and then I'm not going to have this baby, and I'm going to wear the shame of not being able to still have a baby. I don't want this. But I think, I think she didn't have hope. Because she was told that God would do this. And God did this. And halfway through her pregnancy, she's still hiding She's avoiding people. That's the actions of a person who don't have hope. Now listen, when you read something like this, when you've walked along the side of somebody who's lost hope, you start to understand how important and valuable hope is in somebody's life. I I think it's a little odd because when I hear our culture talking about hope sometimes, they mock it a little bit. They'll say stuff like, I don't need hope. I just need to work hard and make stuff happen. I don't need hope. I don't need wishful thinking. Which is bizarre when I hear them say this kind of stuff because what they don't understand is they have hope. The the reason they believe if they worked hard they could get somewhere has to do with hope. Hope is this idea that no matter where you're at right now, things could be okay. Things could be improved. And if things couldn't be improved, you could still be okay under the weight of that. Like there's this belief that it's going to be all right and you're going to make it to the other side. That's, That's what hope does for people. And that's how it helps people take steps forward. And you can see both kinds of hope in the Christmas story. You can see the the downside. You can see Elizabeth. But you can look at Mary and Joseph too. They got to a place where they considered their only possible outcome is divorce. And God had to save them from that. So you see those two negative, but then you have the Magi. I mean, seriously. For hundreds of years, this group had passed down Daniel's prophecy Basically saying, it might not happen in your lifetime, so pass it down to the next one. And these guys were anticipating, dreaming, hoping that one day this thing that they were looking for would happen. And when it happened in the sky, they packed up and took a perilous journey to go and see this child, believing that they would see something miraculous. These guys were full of hope. It's incredible. It's not just a holiday thing for them. They carried it all the time. It just happened to be when they saw the star, they were able to act on that. Now, maybe for many of you, you have a sense of hope. You can look at your situation, your life right now, and you feel like, I think it's going to be okay. I think things are going to improve. I think I can hold up under the weight of this. But I know in talking with some of you that that's not how you think right now. I made a short list of stuff that seems to have come into people's life and it just seems to, it sucks the life right out of you. And maybe it's, um, you're stuck in a cycle. 
a cycle with a friendship or a relationship that you're with or a financial cycle and you just feel like every time I feel like I'm about to get out of this, I get drugged back in, I get drugged back in, I have the same emotional response, I don't know why I keep responding that way emotionally and it's draining and you don't see any way forward. Some of you feel like your past has showed up in your presence like the way you live right now is being shaped by what happened years ago. And as you look forward into your future, you don't think it's going to change much either. And that person that you were, that mistake that you made, is going to keep tracking you. And it's exhausting. Some of you are facing a loss. It could be anything. It could be the loss of a relationship. It could be the loss of a, somebody that you loved. It could be a loss of trust, but it stings still. And you're really not sure how you're going to get to the other side of that and feel better. You're not even sure if it's possible. Some of you have a sense of hopelessness because of the pace that your life is. You barely have enough time to pay your bills. And that's because you barely have enough time to work to pay your bills. That's because you barely have enough time to sleep so that you can work to pay your bills. And the cycle just keeps going like that. And you're not sure when you're going to get off the treadmill. And looking forward, it just looks like that's going to be my life. Some of you, a habit owns you right now. A habit you'd like to leave behind. But every time you feel like you take two steps forward, it grabs you and pulls you back. And you're just ready to give up. Unsure how you're even gonna move forward. Now here's what I've become convinced of. I believe hope is either fed or starved by three things in your life. You can feed it and make it grow, or if you um, refuse to give these three things to it, you'll end up more and more hopeless. Joy, peace, love. Now, maybe it's possible, maybe it's possible for you to have a sense of joy that, that God has been involved in your life, that he's doing things, that he's not done doing things, and still feel a sense of hopelessness, but I doubt it. I'm fairly certain that if you had the sense of God's presence with you, and you knew he was with you, going where you went, and, and you had that reassurance that there would be a sense of hope, but I haven't met too many hopeless people who were without peace or who had peace. They didn't, just didn't exist. I haven't met too many hopeless people who felt loved. And by the way, this one's complicated. It might maybe that you don't feel loved by others or people gave you messages that you're unlovable. But sometimes what happens is you take those messages and you believe them yourself. And instead of thinking that you're not loved, you, you don't even like yourself. You think it's impossible. And so you carry the weight of being unloved internally as well. And instead of having a sense of hope because you're loved, you, you carry the weight of the junk inside you. Now, now here's the thing. Hope, peace, love. If those get squeezed out of your life, I'm convinced 
hope leaves shortly thereafter. Now, um, why do I say all of this? Because here's what's weird. If you look in the Christmas story, you'll not find the word hope once. I've looked, I've tried. It's not here. And yet, you find the actions of people who are filled with hope. Some who were filled with hopelessness before they chose to act. And the stuff that happened before they found hope, God was infusing into their lives joy, peace, and love. Can I just give you um, one example? Simeon's in the temple. He's been told that he'll see the Messiah before he dies. He's waiting. He's been waiting for a long time. And they come in, and he's so overwhelmed by the Spirit that he starts to prophesy. And listen to the things that he says. He says this about Jesus. For my eyes have seen your salvation. He's talking to God about what he's just done. I've seen your salvation, verse 31, which you've prepared in the sight of all nations. You've done this out in the open. You're planning to save and rescue mankind. And then he goes on to say in verse 32, a light for the revelations to the Gentiles and glory for all of your people, Israel. He's talking about something worth celebrating here. It's full of joy. Why? Because God, who loves, sent his son to rescue you. And that, that theme happens over and over again in the lives of the people in the story. Zachariah and Elizabeth are infused with a sense of love and peace based on what God's done, and Zachariah ends up writing a song of joy. Joseph and Mary, ready for a divorce, end up deciding, I guess we'll be okay together because God said we can do this. And they step forward into that future. And you see acts of hope that come from them, which is weird because they were full of hopelessness. All the signs of hopelessness were there. Now here's the thing. God will come to you he will offer, because he loves you, he will offer you joy, peace. He will offer you a sense that you are loved and valued like any other. But because of who he is, he will not force you to accept it. And when you choose to refuse it, hope can disappear from your life. I know because... It recently happened with me. Uh, I can only tell you that right now because looking back, I can tell you the truth. In the moment, I couldn't have. I would have described it as this, just having a bad week, a bad month. Uh, my wife had expressed, um, she used some specific words, you're upset, you're frustrated, you're not nice right? I was restless. And it wasn't one thing. It wasn't one thing. There was a whole bunch of things. I mean, one of the things, uh, Tracy and I were having a major disagreement. 
We've had it in our marriage for um, years now, and we've just kind of accepted it. It's been no big deal. We know we're just, we think differently about this, and we're going to live with that. We still love each other. We're going to get by with that. But it was becoming contentious between us, and I would get angry faster about it. And she would respond, and I, I found myself deeply frustrated with the pile of stuff that was sitting in my life. And six weeks ago, I was pretty close to the end of my rope. I was saying stuff like, what does it even matter? Who cares? Why try? Have you been there? Because that's, that's where I was. And again, I, w- I would not have identified it as a lack of hope. But something happened to me six weeks ago. Uh, I came into the office early on a Wednesday morning. It was, uh, I like Wednesday mornings early. Nobody else is in the office. I can play my music however loud I want and it won't bother anybody. And I had sat down, I had turned some music on and I was making out my schedule. I was figuring out what I had to get done that day. Um, I was thinking about life and why it mattered, right? Trying to um, slot, oh, I'm gonna do all of this stuff, but what's the point? And uh, a song that I had not heard came on the radio. It wasn't the radio, it was YouTube I was listening to. And I froze. I froze because the words of that song, it felt like God had written it specifically for me. There were lines in the song that made me go, oh my word, I do that. There was a line in the song that said, "Um, the, the words you whisper underneath your breath And I was like, I've been doing that a lot lately. I've been talking to myself. None of it's good. None of it was positive stuff that I was saying. But as I sat and listened to that song, uh, something happened that rarely, if ever, happens to me. I just started crying. I I just kind of broke down right there at my desk because the song was about hope and it was about God's intent to be a rescuing God. And I realized in that moment that God had offered me that and I had refused it. And in the quiet of my desk, that song ended, I had a conversation with God And I apologized for refusing those gifts. I was preparing, I was preparing the Christmas series. And I can tell you right now, I was doing it without a sense of joy, hope, or love. Yes, I knew my wife loved me, but we were having some conflicts at the time. There was a strain, and I had convinced myself that I was in all of it alone just wasn't true. Um, Van, would you uh, make your way up here? And in that moment, 
Um, I asked for God's presence to make itself known to me again. And can I just tell you, a wave came over me that changed my whole demeanor. I could breathe again. I rested. It was, it was good. And here's what's fascinating. None of my situations changed. Tracy and I still have a major disagreement in our lives, but you know what's incredible? It's amazing how well that goes when you walk into that at peace. When you're not the one who's stirring it up and making it worse. See, before, all the possibilities I saw were impossibilities. And when I finally decided that I wanted to accept the peace that God offered, the joy, like he was at work, I could see him, I knew it, accept the joy for that that was going on, admit I wasn't alone, I was loved, it changed everything. I don't know where you're at this morning, but here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to give you a 6.30 a.m. Wednesday morning moment. The band's gonna play the song that I heard that morning. And when they do, I want you to hear it as a song that God is writing to you. Loves you, cares about you, knows what's going on with you, and is not willing to leave you hopeless. So listen to this, and then I'm going to come back and finish. If I could give you a hope transplant this morning, I would. But that's not how it works. God's done everything that you need. He's done everything that you need to experience a sense of hope. And the question is, will you reach out and grab onto it? Because he has done things in your life and he is not done. And it's meant to be a source of joy for us. He is present with you. Where you go, he goes. He knows what's going on with you. It's meant to give you a sense of peace. He loves you. If any time of year that isn't obvious, he sent a baby to become a sacrifice for you and me. And it's something that you can grab onto, take in deep, and it will change the way you think. If you have hope, Feed it. Feed it with joy. Feed it with peace. Feed it with love. But if you're feeling hopeless right now, don't starve yourself from the very things that God wants to use to reignite that in your life. He loves you. He wants your life to be grand, to step into it with purpose and meaning not to wonder if it matters, if you should care. You're loved. 
can I, can I pray with you? That maybe you'll experience that and it will change the way you go about this next week, this next month, this next year. Let's pray. God, I want to start by just saying thank you. You met me. You recalibrated the way I thought. And I I never would have called it hopelessness. But I was at a place where I needed you. And your presence brings hope. So God, I, I think about this group of people here that you love. You desire for them to have that same sense of hope, have that same sense of courage, that their life matters, that it could have meaning and purpose. So I just help ask that you would help them reach out and take a hold of the gifts that you've offered. Your angels went to a hillside where there were shepherds and proclaimed that it would be joy for everybody. There would be peace. It would rest on those with whom you had favor. And God, you favor these people. So bring them peace. Help them celebrate with a sense of joy. Give them confidence that they are loved and not alone. God, reignite the hope in our hearts that only you can reignite. Love you. Do your work. In Jesus' name, amen.